This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hansen. Thurley Ruxton by Philip Virrell Miguels. Chapter 6 The Gods of Chance. The one particularly fateful element in Thurley's unique adventure in the park was not entirely the effect produced upon young Stivrant. It was quite as much the meeting with Alice Van Kirk. In addition to being the niece of Major John Phipps, she was one of the wealthiest, uneasiest, and most original women in all New York. She was likewise one of the cleverest and shrewdest in gaining her ends. Married, thirty-five, domiciled in a modern Fifth Avenue palace, and consumed by social ambitions never yet wholly gratified, she presented a study in restless enterprise not to be lightly ignored. For one brief season she had flashed so brilliantly on the rainbow peaks of social eminence as to dazzle the most blasé. Scores of the moths that flit to the blinding glare of gold had molted their wings to remain within the circle. Then had come envy, successful rivalry, a species of defeat for her, and retirement from the center of the stage. For two seasons she had sought in vain for the magical wand that would place again within her grasp the queenship she felt essential to existence. Van Kirk, who detested the social cyclone, was away to the north, scouring Canada gun in hand, intent upon moose. His wife, with the season once more opening for lions and conquests in Gotham, had for weeks been ready for anything socially desperate, and had felt herself helplessly baffled. A hundred times she had conned the old devices employed in all her set, and a hundred times had flung them out as worthless for her needs. She was amply aware that nothing short of something new and resistlessly magnetic, something gleamingly startling could avail to establish her anew. Today in the park the germ of a thought had sunk to the tropics of her brain, there to sprout with prodigious clarity and expand a luxuriant foliage. The germ had been planted by the sight of Thurley Ruxton driving Stiverin's car. With such a girl as that to exploit, what ends might she not achieve? Who in the world could the girl have been? And where had Robley found her, that any young woman so brilliantly, unartificially beautiful and able, moreover, to drive a car, could have entered the social constellation without her knowledge was to Alice Van Kirk a positive sting? She felt humiliated, excluded, reflecting that the Stiverants and others of their circle had, as it were, kept her from knowledge that this exquisite girl had dawned upon their world. Arrived at home, she took no time for removal of furs or gloves, 
in her haste to employ the phone. She called up the Stivern residence, and soon had Robley on the wire. "'My poor dear boy,' she purred in the mouthpiece sympathetically, "'I am positively worried about your wrist. "'You've had it treated, of course?' "'Oh, right as a trivet,' answered Stiverant cheerfully. "'Good of you to call me up, I'm sure. "'And, by the way, Alice, Robley—' "'Who is she, you lucky animal?' interrupted the woman impatiently. "'You know in your pain you merely mumbled her name.' "'No, not in pain, in desperation,' he confessed himself, "'no less eager than Alice to discover Thurley's identity "'and devise some chance to meet her without delay. "'I'm glad you called me up. "'You may be the one being on earth who can help me find out who she is "'and where I may encounter her again.' "'Robley,' said his sympathetic friend, you don't mean to astonish this incredulous wire with the assertion that you don't know who she is why my boy but where hearken he admonished you're aware that princess thervinia is here in america incog i am of course but it may not be she i'm half hopeful half afraid it is she was all alone in the park when i had my fall she came to my aid with all the simplicity and courage of royalty i felt the indefinable air of something regal about her from the start she would not reveal the first little hint of who she was and insisted on being taken back where i'd found her by my man why rob least that isn't all she dropped a little handkerchief in the car i uh, i've got it now alice the corner is marked with a crest now how could it be princess thervinia of course she'd speak english perfectly but her servants her retinue her equipage and all when we know she's here incognito he answered how could she move about in the guise of a plain american woman if retinues and royal coaches tagged her all through the park I can't be sure, but if you had really seen her and read the descriptions of the princess, good gracious, I never thought of that. Do you fancy any woman would have overlooked her wonderful eyes and brows, that gold of her hair, that color? Robley Alice, he interrupted, there isn't a single being in the world with your cleverness to help me find her out. Don't you see that I've got to find her now? A man can't have the luck to break his wrist like that but once in a lifetime. How will you manage to find her? Heavens, answered Alice laughingly, exactly as I'd pounce on any needle in a haystack. I'm disappointed in you, Robley, to be candid. You've been stupid, really, to permit her to escape like this. By George, if I hadn't been wounded, you wouldn't have found her at all. "'Of course, but—and you mean to say that when you were hurt she came running to your assistance, alone, in the pouring rain, with all her sky-sails, her umbrella set? I never felt so weak in my life. The pain went straight down to my heels. She said I needed help. I did. 
she said she could drive and she drove there was never anything quite so superb in the world as the way she drove the car between you've got to come over to see me alice interrupted come to-morrow sure i can understand that with your broken wrist you need even such poor assistance as mine i'm really quite distressed about your hand distressed he echoed over the wire great roaring ghosts what a rank affront to luck i'll be over in the afternoon to-morrow and please be prepared with a little first aid to the a second aid second-handed aid she interrupted now go and rest good-bye she hung up the instrument and the period afterward known to her three-day fever had begun it might with propriety have been termed an exasperation on her part and a desperation on the part of robley stivrant both made prodigious but futile efforts to rediscover thoroughly and the mystery of who and what and where she was assumed new depth with every hour meantime thoroughly was plunged once more into the hopelessly commonplace affairs of daily labour and boarding-house existence her dream of an hour already receding from her grasp over the ever-present plains of stern reality there were moments of almost savage regret in her thoughts as she faced her grind the barren outlook of day succeeding day and the mockery of social splendour and achievement to be glimpsed and comprehended from afar some vague insistent sophistry of her more unthinking self argued repeatedly that had she only manoeuvred more adroitly played the cards supplied her by that fickle visitor opportunity more shrewdly she might already be scheduled for some romantic escape from the yoke she must otherwise bear she was not deceived she was certain in her heart of hearts that she had done the only possible thing in refusing her name to robley stiverant and retreating from his ken unknown and yet to be snatched from it all so soon to be obliged to realize her own remoteness from the only sphere her nature craved was galling she had anger with her fate there were moments when in her indignation at the slights put upon her by acton gaylord in the spring she felt entitled to revenge on all his kind entitled to injure all creatures of his ilk by the powers and arts and baits of love that had swept her own happiness away for she had suffered much during all this time alone in merciless manhattan with recurrent dreams of the might-have-beens and in contemplation of the ruins of castles one time built of the stuff of summer clouds there was never a moment however when she seriously thought of arranging even a second accidental meeting with the man with the broken wrist she had taken no time to consider his personality and he aside from his natural sense of gratitude for the little she had done had been too much in pain she was sure to observe her with attention yet she tugged at her fetters 
and assailed the major's work as if it had been a foe wednesday afternoon the tantalizing fates took another unexpected step and thoroughly unaware was confronting the gate in the wall the gate to the modern eden the major it was who prodded the gods of change with no such intention in his mind he had been to this stronghold of a publisher who the day before had received the first half of the volume on which he was working he came to alice van kirk's like a boy unable to compass his delight he had come to the gorgeous empty house to dine ostensibly his appetite however was for talk alice was alone except for the presence of the fourteen servants in the house and she had never in her life been more heartily glad to give him welcome why pollux my dear he said as he kissed her with genuine warmth and affection i've never been so happy since antietam never the book is a hit with my publishers bull's-eye straight and clean and the title changed to personal recollections of seventeen engagements in the civil war <laughs> i'm the luckiest old curmudgeon in the country i am by george unbelievable luck all that young woman's doing order out of chaos my raw recruits of fact in line all ready for dress parade or charge recollections all wheeled into battalions like magic the second half is practically finished as an author i feel i begin to off <laughs> with that young woman's assistance i had a run right up and tell you you are very kind said alice warmly it's a pity the pattern of your young woman paragon had not been more generously employed if only they were made beautiful regal and discoverable more often the rest of us might almost approximate a toleration of existence pessimism my dear pessimism answered the major heartily the world is full of beautiful women this exotic of mine exotic that's the proper description is extraordinary she is by pollux gifted alert sensible too sensible to know how absolutely beautiful she is even with all my force so dead in love with her they work like bees about their queen <laughs> she's the finest product of the feminine gender i've seen outside of <laughs> outside of this room by pollux admirable retreat with guns intact commented alice dryly is she blonde or brunette i've forgotten which you preferred a month ago there you are by george replied the major triumphantly she's neither they both well golden hair i admit real you know real magnificent no bleach by pollux none and the darkest brows no penciling i swear it at the cannon's mouth and eyes brown as a seal no chance to paint her peroxide eyes you'll admit you're bound to you're bound to admit and there you are i've a notion to write another book to keep her near beautiful my dear if i were only young cease firing she interrupted with awakening interest are you sure of what you are describing 
Remember, this is not the eighteenth engagement in the Civil War, and I want the facts. Do you repeat blonde hair, brown eyes, brows darkly black, and complexion rose and white? I hadn't come to her complexion, but by George it is. It is roses, that's it, roses, white ones and red. How in the world I ever got her to come exactly, his niece interrupted. Where and how did you get her? Who is this girl? It's uh, the one you mentioned before? The major sat down. Repeatedly told you about her way last June. Mentioned her frequently at Newport. Always with enthusiasm, too. Maybe with ardor. Probably with ardor. <laughs> Tell you all I know about her, wonderful young woman with commendable optimism and some perspicacity of statement he proceeded at once to enlighten his niece as fully as his information permitted as to who and what miss thurley ruxton was and how he had come to employ her he made scant mention of the apparent relationship she had enjoyed with acton gaylord but admitted he had met her frequently in gaylord's company and accepted her socially, in fact, on Gaylord's endorsement, and had asked her nothing at all uh, concerning her antecedents, having always been far more interested in the phases of her cleverness, her beauty, and her remarkable popularity. Alice listened to all this recital with an interest peculiarly intent, Oh, why don't you bring her up and let me see the girl she presently demanded but no on the whole i think i shall call at your office uh, to-morrow afternoon a servant appeared and announced the dinner served end of chapter six